Our scripture lesson this morning comes again from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 29, to chapter 12, verse 2. And so I invite you now to hear these words from Hebrews. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are all surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is, for us, friends, the word of God, for us, the people of God. That scripture always feels like a tongue twister to me. (laughs) Last week, if you were here worshiping with us, and if you weren't, that's okay, but last week we talked about Hebrews. In fact, we read the scripture right before today's scripture. The first part of chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews tells us about Abraham, right? It sets Abraham before us as this great model of faith. Someone whose story seems almost larger than life itself. And in that exploration last week, I think hopefully we all figured out that the Bible gives us all these incredible figures with seemingly amazing faith, and while they may seem really difficult to live up to as people, maybe their faith isn't all that large. Maybe faith can be small, and God can make incredible things out of a faith that is small and broken and fragile and weak. 
This week, Hebrews continues on. We continue through chapter 11. And again, Hebrews tells us the stories of some of the folks in the Bible who have extraordinary faith. Some of them you may know and recognize their names. And some of them you may read and be like, I have no idea who this person is or why they are a part of this list. This this section of Hebrews, in fact, is sometimes referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. It's just this listing of people with incredible faith. Many of the witnesses listed in this list are nameless and identified only by their struggles, which is no doubt intentional on the writer's part. But of the ones who are named in this list, we hear about Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea. We hear about great prophets of the Old Testament like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, who according to the scripture conquered kingdoms and were mighty warriors and saw promises fulfilled and even shut the mouths of lions. We heard about walls falling, about the inspiring faith of a woman one of the only women listed in this hall of fame, in fact, the only one named by name, Rahab, a woman who lived in Jericho and assisted Israelites in capturing the city. She's considered a saint and hailed as righteous for her faithfulness. In fact, in the book of Matthew, she's named as one of only three female ancestors of Christ. Again, it seems Hebrews has given us this set of perfect people, right? If we imagined a hall of faith, like each of them would have their own tapestry with lots of gold and like a really wonderful picture and we'd walk around and just ooh and ah at it. But if we really stop and look at these models of faith, the people named in this hall of fame, we'll find that they're really not perfect. In fact, they're anything but. Some of them are incredibly problematic people. (laughs) And yet their faith is still significant. So I wanted today to take a look at really who some of these people are, at their stories, and then wonder why, if this is who they are, are they still worthy of the Hall of Fame when it comes to faith? As I said, we have Moses first, and Moses is this great leader of the people of God. He receives the commandments from the Lord. Moses is the one in the Old Testament who can strike a rock and make water appear out of it, which is a really great party trick. Um, (laughs) Moses is also able to part the Red Sea. We hear that referenced in this. Moses raises his hands and parts the sea so that the people might walk through it to freedom. And in all of his greatness, we also know that Moses is afraid to speak because he doesn't believe that he could actually speak in a way that is eloquent or good enough to be the leader of the Israelite people. And so God strikes a deal with Moses that Aaron, Moses' brother, will speak for him And so Moses lives out his call, not alone, but with Aaron, often speaking on Moses' behalf, and Moses just performing his cool party party tricks without narrating them. (laughs) Next we have Gideon, who's listed in this list. And Gideon is a judge. 
He's a prophet. He destroys altars to false gods and unites the Israelites with one another so that they could face their enemies together. He's pretty impressive. He brings them all together and then they face their enemies. And Gideon is someone who doubts God multiple times. He struggles to believe in God. He struggles to believe that God would call him to anything significant if God is even real. And still he's called to do God's work. He doubts his call and tests God multiple times before finally accepting that God might be calling him to something. Jephthah, who's mentioned in this list, is a successful warrior and a well-respected judge in the area where he lives. He leads people to battle against their enemy. And Jephthah was an illegitimate child. He tended to jump to decisions pretty rashly, and that ultimately led to him murdering his own daughter. Samson, who's listed in this list, struggled with self-control. You may know him best for having all of his hair cut off by Delilah. David, who's in this list, is incredibly difficult. He murders people in order to get what he wants. He takes a woman as his own without her consent. And then there's Rahab. And Rahab is my personal favorite on this list. In fact, um, for part of our ordination work, we are required to write about which biblical character we relate to most. And I wrote about Rahab. And I got told by the chair of the ordination board that I was the first person ever that he knew of to write about Rahab. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And I should disclose that Rahab is a prostitute and that's not why I wrote about her. And if you are, it's totally cool. Um, Because what we see in this story is that with everything she is, it's not a fault, but in fact, God uses her. Rahab is perhaps the most faithful out of this entire group. She's praised for her righteousness, for her boldness, and she's considered a saint. Rahab is a Canaanite woman who bravely shelters Hebrew spies in the city of Jericho. Rahab is also a pagan woman who decides to accept God just before she saves the Hebrew men in her town. She belongs to a foreign people. In fact, her people are assumed to be the enemies of Israel. She's an innkeeper, a prostitute, a harlot, an outsider. She's someone for whom the entire world sees as not worthy of God's love and in no way worthy of loving or being loved by God's people. And yet, somehow, God finds her so unbelievably lovable and her faith so strong, he quite literally makes her a part of Christ's lineage. God uses Rahab as she is, not in spite of her being a harlot or a prostitute, but because that's who she is, her position allows her to do God's work. And that is why I love Rahab, is she's unassuming. She's not sure about all of this, but she comes to God and she gets used for the person she is, not in spite of it. The scripture this week is perhaps most famous for saying, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that we cling to, 
to run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and taking his seat at the right hand throne of God. We read those words and they show up in our creeds. They show up in every teenage Bible study I think I ever did about running the race because for some reason illustrations about running are always in teenage Bible studies. The scripture tells us we're called to run after Christ, to sprint towards the promise of eternity, to meet the one who perfects our faith, to chase after the God who took on the cross and removed the shame of it all. The scandal of the gospel, the scandal of these verses, is that this great cloud of witnesses, these people who are considered the faith hall of fame, are incredibly sinful and messy people. The scandal of the gospel is that a man who's afraid to speak, and a doubter, and a zealot, and a man who struggles with self-control, a murderer, a foreign prostitute, they're all deemed holy examples of faith. And they're all people who the rest of the world would look at and go, hmm, probably not. They probably don't belong on a pedestal. They probably don't belong in a pulpit. They probably shouldn't be praised. We should not let them be administrative council chair. The truth of the gospel is the people who are in this hall of faith fame are people who are just really messed up. And still God calls them. I think as humans, as people, it's so easy to decide that someone is unredeemable or doesn't belong or is unworthy. It's so easy to decide because of whatever thing somebody previously did or struggled with or their vocation that someone should be outcast, that they've sinned in a certain way that's unforgivable. It's easy to decide that because someone's different that they can't have a faith as strong as ours. In fact, we just decide they don't have a faith that's even worthy of being in the pew or being in the pulpit or having a call from God. But the truth of the gospel is that Christ spends most of his ministry with people that the rest of the world deems unlovable and unworthy. He spends his time with tax collectors, with the sick, with the poor, with foreigners and adulterers and prostitutes and people who society deems unclean, and he calls them holy. In fact, a lot of times he exalts them above the priests of the temple which is really spicy. <laughs> we don't acknowledge often what like an incredible insult that probably felt like for the priests. Hebrews 11 lists for us this hall of fame, these great leaders who've come before us, and by earthly standards, they're people who probably shouldn't be welcomed in church and perhaps don't deserve anything. And yet, God calls them good. This passage tells us that anyone, anyone can run the race towards, towards Christ. And perhaps the people who we think shouldn't be in race, racing at all are usually the people way ahead of us. This passage tells us that anyone the world looks at and would call bad, or that the church might turn away, 
or we might be tempted to shake our head and point our fingers at. And the eyes of God is good. That at the heart of things, they could have faith beyond even our own understanding. What I love about this scripture and this series of scriptures is that as the person that I am, um, as I was pursuing ministry and pursuing faith, one of the reasons I love Rahab is because most people, a lot of people often told me I didn't belong in the church, that I didn't belong in the pulpit, women shouldn't preach, heavily tattooed people shouldn't preach, affirming people shouldn't preach, like all the things. There's a lot of reasons. And there are reasons that perhaps a lot of you have gotten. You shouldn't be in the church because of X, Y, Z. And if you are, you should leave pieces of yourself at the door. And then you can come in and sit at a pew. But the truth of the scripture is that God wants you for all of that you are. And God calls you. And the fact of the matter is, the thing the church may be asking you to leave at the door is the very thing God wants to work with. My question for you today, friends, then, is are you chasing God? Are you running full throttle at Christ? Are you focused on getting the one who will perfect you? Or are you spending your time looking around and worrying about where the other people trying to run this race are? Are you distracted by the people chasing God who you think shouldn't be? Are you looking at people seemingly ahead of you, frustrated they're getting there before you? Are you wondering where you can stick your foot out and hopefully trip someone up? It's funny, but it's also a very real thing. (laughs) Who have you told they don't deserve to run after Christ? Who do you think isn't worthy to run in the same race as you? Who have you seen and thought they don't belong in my church? They don't deserve to be here. Who do you want to stumble and fall so that you can get to Christ first? It's so easy to make a competition. And I think I'm always fascinated by this question because for each of us it's different, right? For some people, it is people like me. They don't want running the race. And for myself, when I was in divinity school, they were people who were like incredibly intelligent, <laughs> like top of our class intelligent, who were absolutely brilliant book smart wise and had no people skills. <laughs> and I would look at them and just go, why are you here? You're not called to ministry. And that wasn't true. They do have a call. And I found myself going, you shouldn't be in the same race as me. We're all guilty of doing it in some capacity. It's easy to listen to the temptation to disregard people. It's easy to get frustrated when someone is seemingly ahead of us or someone thinks that they should be running beside us at all. It's easy for us to decide that someone is unlovable because they're different for us. And if Christ loves us so much, Christ also couldn't love them so much. It's a mindset of scarcity, and Jesus lives in abundance. It's easy to be uncomfortable and scared when we see someone we don't understand or we find incredibly intimidating or unsafe for us, worthy of chasing after God. It's really easy to get hung up on the sins or unlikable qualities or obnoxious intelligence of other people. 
and the ways that we think those things are unredeemable or unusable. Rather than focusing on the fact that we aren't in a competition, the only race we're running is with ourselves. And truthfully, if we're looking around at everyone else, we're probably slowing ourselves down in our own race. Um, if I were a really cool, hip, young pastor, this is probably the part where I'd tell you to stay in your lane. <laughs> the gospel is a gospel full of unworthy, broken, and sinful people who are just really messed up. Um, perhaps they've done worse things than you have. Perhaps they've done the same things you have or things way outside of your zone that you've never done. The truth is that all of us are people who can be used and exalted. All of us have a faith that is beautiful. All of us are worthy of running and chasing after Christ because faith just doesn't have bounds. It's not exclusionary, it's not just for some people, it's for all people. And God uses all people and in their incredible gifts and talents and as they were made and as they are to do incredible things. Any child of God gets invited into a life of faith. Any person, no matter their opinions or their earthly standards or the things that they've done that just feel like giant mess ups is deemed lovable and capable of doing great works. And that is the most incredible gift is that we get to know that about ourselves. And the most humbling thing, in fact, it holds me accountable all the time to realize that other people also get this gift. Thanks be to God.